Let us turn to 1 John chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. Just a few words as well about arrangements over, over Christmas. Uh, we will be having our Christmas family services on the 18th. That, of course, will be a week before Christmas, and we'll have a program for both of those services, morning and evening. We'll be singing carols and take the opportunity to invite others out uh, to the house of God that Sabbath. And then on, on Christmas Day, which falls on the Lord's Day this year, and it is the Lord's Day, of course, before it is Christmas Day, and we encourage you to be at your place in God's house on that day. But uh, we recognize it's, it's a special day and things are a little different. So while our services will be continuing, uh, we will uh, bring the morning service forward. We have done this every other occasion since I have come here, since um, uh, when Christmas Day uh, falls on Sunday. So we're bringing the morning service forward to half past 10. So the morning service on, on the 25th of December will be at 10.30 as opposed to 11.30. First uh, John chapter 5 and the verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Amen. May God bless his word to our hearts. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Write it upon our hearts. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. As John brings his little epistle to a close, he talks here about the the power of the relationship that those that walk in the light have with God. We need to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's the, the theme of this study. It is not only the theme of this study, it's the theme of the epistle of First John. And if we do walk in the light, we enjoy the love of God as a fellowship of love. We enjoy unity. We enjoy harmony with the Lord and we also enjoy a prayerful relationship with the Lord. Because those that walk in the light are going to be a people of prayer. And their relationship with God is going to be strengthened through prayer. And so the light will grow as they pray. So prayer is an indispensable part of the believer's life. And therefore today we're going to think about the subject of, of prayer that this subject brings us into the sanctuary. It brings us into the place where we kneel at the throne of grace. It brings us into the private place. Because ultimately, prayer is about the believer's hidden life. No one really sees us as we pray. No one really knows us as we pray. But God, that is a a secret thing between ourselves and the Lord. The Savior talked about going into the closet, closing the door. It's between you and God. And yes, it is true that we need to be in the public place of prayer, and that is important and that is vital. But the place that is most fundamental to the believer's relationship with God is the, the private place. And if we are not in prayer, if we do not pray, 
There is something seriously wrong with the relationship we have with the Lord. It has been said, and it is so true, that prayer is to the Christian what air is to the lungs. Prayer is the very oxygen that breathes life into the Christian's relationship with his Savior. But it is only a people who walk the life that can enjoy this relationship with God in prayer. The two things, they work together. We need to walk in the light as he is in the light, that we might have fellowship with God. And as we have fellowship with God, we are able to pray. And so if we're holding things back from God, if we are deliberately sinning and holding on to that sinning without confessing it, without repenting of it and turning from it, I tell you, our prayer life is going to be hindered and hampered because there's going to be something between us and God. And you know what it's like if there's something between you and somebody else. A relationship becomes frustrated. And a relationship with God becomes frustrated because of sin. And so it is very important that we pray earnestly that God would help us to walk in the light, that we might enjoy power with God in prayer. These are remarkable verses, verses 13, 14, and 15. They teach us so much about prayer and its vitality. It's life-giving power and virtue. And so let us think about prayer today. In the first place, let's think about the people who engage in prayer. The people who engage in prayer. Who are the people who engage in prayer? Well, we come to verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Of God. We talked about assurance today for Romans 8. Well, here's a, a great text teaching us assurance. And uh, having said all of this about these people, in verse 13, he goes on to talk about, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So verse 13 is linked, indissolubly linked with verse 14. So the people who enjoy this relationship with God in prayer are a people who are Christians. They are a people who know that they are Christians. So who are these people who pray? These are a people who have faith in the Word of God. Verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. These are a people who have faith in the Word of God. And this is what it is to be a Christian, to have our faith in God's Word. Faith in the written Word of God. That here in this book we have the very written words that God has given to us. And if someone gives something in writing to you, well, that's so much better than a, a verbal promise. A verbal promise is something that can be argued over and debated. It wasn't said quite like that. But whenever something's written down, it's clear. You can't take away from it. And a verbal promise doesn't really have standing in a court of law, not the way a written promise would. And so God, he gives us his word. And we are Christians through our faith. We know that we are Christians because we 
have put our faith in the Word of God and the things that God has written down. And if you're not a Christian today, how can you become a Christian? By putting your faith in what God has written, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you ask the Lord to save, you're going to be saved because you put your faith in that which God has written. And as Christians, we must ever learn to take God simply at His Word. Faith in the Word of God. A Christian not only has faith in the Word of God, a Christian has faith in the Son of God. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So the written record, at the heart of the written record is Christ. At the heart of the written record is the Son of God. At the heart of the written record is the story of Christ who came into the world first as that little child in the womb of the Virgin Mary and then as that young man who was impaled on that cross for our sins bearing away our iniquities and we put our faith in him who is now alive we believe on the name of the Son of God neither is there salvation in any other there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and these are people who therefore have the assurance of sins forgiven. So these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If we know that we have eternal life, then our sins are forgiven. And John, of course, he, he wrote about this in verse 7 of chapter 1. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. Every sin is under the blood. Every last sin has to be under the blood or we would not be Christians. And then he says that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, there, there's so much here in these words. If we know we have eternal life, yes, our sins are forgiven. If we know we have eternal life, that means we know we're going to heaven. But he, he didn't say, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye will one day have eternal life. He doesn't say that. You may know that you have eternal life. Eternal life isn't a future possession for the Christian. Eternal life isn't just something that's promised for the Christian in the future. Eternal life is something that the Christian has now. We have eternal life now. And of course, that tells me something very clearly that if you have eternal life, you're not going to lose that. Eternity is forever. Eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And if you have eternal life now, that can't be lost. Because it wouldn't be eternal life. If you were to lose it, you wouldn't have eternal life. If God gives eternal life, He's not going to take it away. Because it's eternal life. Eternal life can't be broken. We have eternal life now. Amen. Eternal life today. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord, of course, talked about this as well in that great prayer that he offered for all of his people in John chapter 17 and verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many 
as thou hast given him. Christ came into the world to give eternal life to as many as God gave him. And then verse 3 goes on to say, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Knowing God is eternal life. If we have eternal life, we know God. And if we know God, we have eternal life. We have it in the here and now. Sometimes we describe a Christian as someone who knows the Lord. Do you know the Lord? That word know, it implies relationship. We have a relationship with the Lord. It's not just a name, it's not just a label. Yes, I'm a Christian. It's we have a living relationship with God. And those that have a living relationship with God, they have eternal life. And the word know is so important here. That ye may know. That ye may know. That ye may know Him. You might know your place in the family of God. You might know the Lord. This is what it is to be a Christian. These are the people who pray. The people who pray are a people who have this kind of knowledge, who have this kind of assurance. These are the people who engage in prayer because they know the Lord and they've got eternal life. But let's also think about the preparation for prayer. We have the word confidence here. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. The preparation for prayer is confidence in God. If we have confidence in God, we'll pray. We'll talk to Him. Confidence is part of prayer because confidence is our faith. It's not a self-confidence. There's so much talk today about being self-confident. But we need the humility to recognize that we are nothing, that God is everything, a confidence in God. You will go and ask somebody to help you. If you have confidence, that person will help you. If you knew that person wasn't going to help you, you wouldn't have the confidence to ask them. You wouldn't ask. There'd be no point. Whenever we don't pray, is it not a... A revelation that we don't really have the confidence in God. If you don't come to God and spend your time praying to Him and asking Him to supply your needs and undertake for your, your, your difficulties and your woes and your concerns, does that not reveal you lack confidence in God? So if we're going to come to God, we, we need confidence in Him. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If we come to God, we need to believe that God is, first of all. The confidence that God is, that God is alive. That he is. That our prayers aren't just bouncing off the ceiling, but that they're entering the throne room of heaven. We believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That God really does reward those that diligently seek him. We need confidence in this. And again, it comes back to our faith in the word of God. God has written these things down to teach us, to encourage, and to help us. Why should we not have confidence in God? Why should we not have confidence in God? He's our Heavenly Father. He cares for us more deeply than we could ever comprehend. He cares for you more deeply than you know. 
everything that has happened in your life this week, just to take this past week, things are fresh in your memory, everything that has happened. I don't know, I don't know all that's happened to you. And you know, everything that's happened this past week. God has worked out his purpose in your life through all of that. For all things work together for good to those that love God, all things. Now, there are times we don't understand how that works. We don't understand how God could bring bad things out of disappointments and pain and misery. We don't understand that. We can't say that. But God can take even the wrath of man to praise him. God can take things that to us seem to be bad and terrible, and he performs his purpose through all of that in ways that are mysterious and ways that are wonderful because he's always in charge. You know, we're not just cast adrift on the winds and the waves of time. God's in charge. Our, our, our ship is, is not adrift at all. God's directing our vessel across the waves and storms of this world. And he's directing us to the heavenly harbor. We're told that not a, a sparrow falls to the ground, but our heavenly Father seeth it. And if he sees the sparrow, then is the very hairs of our head numbered. And he knows us in ways that we never could understand or anticipate. And so if he's that kind of God, brethren and sisters, then he's our father. And what a father he is. What a tender father. What a caring father. He chose us in eternity that we might be his. We're in his family because he chose us to be in his family. And he sent his son to the cross to die for us. He chastens us when we go astray. And that's a very good thing. God always deals lovingly with us, but he doesn't always deal gently with us. Always remember that. Don't expect that God will always deal gently with you. Because there are times he has to rebuke us, and there are times he has to chasten us, and there are times he has to show us the error of our way. The shepherd has to get the rod and give the sheep an odd crack now and again to keep it in the way. But he does it as a loving heavenly father. He does it because he has our good in his heart. He knows every one of our frailties. He leads and he guides. Oh, how can we not have confidence in such a God? And whenever we pray, we do so because we have the confidence in God. We have boldness. We can come into his presence boldly. Paul talked about that in the book of Hebrews. Having boldness to enter into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus. And just you think about that. Who God is. He's greater than any king or queen or prime minister or president. And there are people who have power in this world and people who think they have power and people who think they have more power than they have and they, they strut across the stage of this world as if they own ever so much. And yet they're nothing. They're just grass. They're just dust. They're just grasshoppers in the very sight of God. But yet, if we were before those people, we would watch our P's and Q's. We can come into the presence of God boldly. We literally have an audience with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords every time we pray. And that's our privilege, and what a privilege it is. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. And then, thirdly, let's think about the petitions in prayer. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And we are taught here what we're to pray for. We can't just pray for anything. We can't just pray for anything. It doesn't say that. We can only ask for anything that is according to his will. And that is a great challenge. 
Because how are we to know what is the will of God and what isn't the will of God? And this seems to be, and it feels like a very difficult thing to ascertain. How can we have the petitions that God wills? It all comes back to the key text for this study. But if we walk in the light, the sea is in the light. If we are living lives of obedience, if we are walking in the light as God is in the light, we will have a relationship with God and we will be sensitive to what God wants. Our hearts will be in tune with God. The word walk is such a good word. We're told of Enoch that he walked with God. And one day Enoch and God went out for a walk and they went so far together that God said, look Enoch, come home with me tonight. You've gone so far from that filthy bunch that you're living with in this world. Just come on home with me. And he was not, for God took him. And he entered into the very presence of the holiest of all, the man who never died. And they went out looking for him, and they sent out a search party, and they couldn't find him, because God had taken him right into his presence. He was in tune with God, you see. Harmony with God. We're told of Noah that in another corrupt age, after the age of Enoch, that Noah walked with God. And as a result of Noah's communion with God, God spared Noah and his family and he spared the world because here was a man who knew God. Noah walked with God. We're told that Abraham was the very friend of God. And yes, Abraham had his feelings and we read about those feelings. But yet, he was the friend of God. And God said, can I hide from Abraham the thing that I do concerning Sodom? And God couldn't hide it from Abraham. And so we told Abraham he was going to destroy Sodom. Because God and Abraham were, were close, you see. Oh, we need to be a people near to God. And if we are truly a people near to God, we will know to pray those things that are pleasing in his sight. But if we live for sin and hold on to sin and don't confess sin and don't repent of sin, if we live for this materialistic world as if that's all there's going to be, we won't know what God wants us to pray for because our hearts won't be in tune with him. And so it is so important that we have hearts in tune with God, that we are a people who read God's word, we are a people who study out the mind of God and God's word, that we know the doctrines of God's word, that we know more of God. The more we know of God, the more we'll know how to pray. And that's what we are being taught here, learning to pray those things that are agreeable to his will. Sometimes we pray and we say prayer changes things. What does prayer change? Does prayer change God? Do we seriously believe that God in some way has made a mistake up there and it made some mistake with my life and some mistake with your life and we need God to change the way he's doing things and therefore we pray that God might change his mind. Is that really how we think? You know, if that's how we think, well, our prayers won't rise above that ceiling because of such a, a low view of God. God never makes any mistakes. Everything that happens is part of his plan. God has his great plan and his great scheme for this world. We don't change God. We never will change God. Because God's the unchanging one. So what does prayer change? Prayer changes us. Prayer is about the Christian coming before God in all humility. 
being absolutely and completely submissive to the will of God, seeking out those petitions that are according to God's will, and being changed as we pray that we might be conformed to God. That's what prayer is all about. It's about us being changed. It's about us being molded. It's about us being transformed. That's what it should be all about. And there is not one person that doesn't need to be changed by God. We all need to be changed. And therefore we pray that God would transform us as we seek his face and as we humble ourselves in his sight. We must seek out those petitions that are, that, that are for the glory of God. Everything that we pray for, it should never be for us. That we might consume it upon our lusts. We shouldn't be selfish as we pray. It should be for God's glory, for God's honor. As we pray, we need a heart that's sympathetic, a heart that's broken, as Christ's heart was broken. He looked in the multitudes, they were perishing. He felt for those multitudes. He looked at the sick, he looked at the blind, he looked at the weary, and he felt for those people. You have his compassion. He received sinners. He had time for those who were the outcasts, whom the religious Jews would have no time for. He won them, the Zacchaeus of this world. We need that Christ-like spirit as we pray. We pray for souls. We preach to every soul. Believing that every soul that comes to Christ will be saved. We pray for every soul because Christ receiveth sinful men. We pray for the sick. And yes, we know that ultimately we're all going to face a sickness in life from which we're not going to be healed. That's the way of the world. But we do believe that God has the power to heal everyone. He is that power. He is the great physician. And we entrust our sick into the compassionate power of a very great God. We pray for revival. God has a set times to favor Zion. One day revival will come again to this land. We pray for the world. One day a great and innumerable multitude will be drawn from this world and ushered into the heavenly kingdom. You know, these petitions that we are being taught to pray for, they're big petitions, they're bold petitions because they're according to God's will. God is big. There's nothing that he cannot do. God is infinite. He's all-powerful. God rules. God reigns. Oh, we can come to him, uplifting the power of God. There's nothing he cannot do. What a God he is. Let's not be limited in our praying. Be bold. Be big. Because of such a big God. That's what we're being taught to do here. Let's think about the promise for prayer as we close. Verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Whatever we pray for that is according to the will of God, he's going to do. He's not going to withhold that from us. And this is what it is to have power with God. What do we do with unanswered prayer? You know, the prayers that God hasn't answered. We all have prayers that God hasn't answered. What do we do with those prayers? And we believe, earnestly, those prayers are according to the will of God, and yet he hasn't stepped in, he hasn't answered. How do we approach all of that? Well, there's God's timing for a start. God has his time to answer prayers. And while the praying might be according to the will of God, our timing can be out of sync with God, because God works up a different calendar for a thousand years, or but is one day in his sight. So we'll have to remember that. 
God is his time. Many a person has prayed and prayed for dear souls and that dear soul has perhaps been saved after the person has died. But the prayer continues. Enclosing the vial before the throne of God. A prayer is an eternal value, you know. So keep praying. We pray for the sick. Sometimes the sick aren't healed. How, how do we face that? But every believer that's sick will be healed, you know. There'll be a new heaven, new earth. There'll be a resurrection. A world without aging, without hospitals, without doctors, without injections. That day's coming. So God will answer that prayer in ways that we just cannot fully comprehend. That's the God that we have. All things will be made new one day. All things will be made new. We live in this old broken world and we feel the weight of it. But all things are going to be made new. We hold on to this promise. We hold on to it with all of our hearts. You know, these kinds of believing prayers don't have to be long prayers. A long prayer may be long in words and short in faith. Some of the most powerful prayers have been short because they've come from a heart filled with burden. They don't have to be articulate prayers. We can use many words and fine words, but ultimately what God's looking is for a heart. A broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. We think of Christ, we're told of him in the garden that he prayed with strong crying and tears. The Pharisee was all very grand in his praying, but the publican simply said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The Savior, we are told, went up into the mountain alone, and there he retired before his father to seek him. The kinds of praying that really believes God ultimately more than anything is going to be real praying, genuine praying. May God give us these kinds of prayers. And let us pray that God would change us and transform us. We will see God working in our lives, and if God works in our lives, we'll see him do things that we perhaps thought in our own belief would never happen. Because that's the God that we have. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Pray you would change us and transform us by your greatness and by your vastness. Lord, have mercy upon us, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen. Let's sing a couple of verses of this hymn in closing. Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conquer thee. I sink in life's alarms, and by myself I stand, imprison me within thine arms. Strong shall be my hand. This hymn was written by George Matheson, the blind preacher. He suffered from blindness, but he had a spiritual sensitivity. If we are truly surrendered to God, captives to God, then we're going to be free. We're going to be powerful. We're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed. That's what we've been thinking about today. Um, we'll sing a couple of verses. Yeah, we'll sing the first verse and the fourth verse together. So we'll sing verses one and four.
Let's stand. Father, bless those who remain for the Lord's table. Bless those who now make their way homeward. Continue with us for Christ's sake. Amen.